It is time, episode 24 of the Purely Pigskin Podcast. I am your host, Pete Noyd, and with me once again is my friend, Ryan Tudor. Man, we got so much on the docket. Seems like there's an NFL game going on every week. Ryan, welcome in, man. How's it going? Giddy up. Uh, Man, I know people who own horses. I don't think you knew that, Pete, but uh, uh, giddy up in the podcast world as well. And congratulations. This has been... uh, 10, 11, 12, 13-day week, but glad to talk about it with you, man. Let's get going. Yeah, it's pretty – It's you know, well, I mean, it, it's not great circumstances, right? Obviously, we're dealing with this pandemic that uh, right now is not going away. It's been very frustrating, very difficult for all of us. And uh, But on the bright side, we get moments uh, like this where we have a football game going almost every night. <laughs> and, uh, it just provides – more to talk about and kind of spreads the action out so you can see a little more sometimes. And uh, we are recording this on Tuesday night after the Tuesday night doubleheader, uh, Seahawks-Rams. The Rams getting over in that one, 20-10 over the Seahawks, solidifying their place in the playoffs. And the Eagles getting a big win against the Washington football team, 27-17. to uh, Let's start with these two games since we've just watched them. Uh, what were your kind of takeaways? Yeah, beginning with uh, Rams and Seahawks, not the greatest game to watch, if we're going to be honest. The Rams handling their business in a way not uh, too unlike the Vikings last night with the Bears. Hard to watch, minimal performances, but the better teams seem to win and uh, strengthen their case for the postseason. Uh, I will say just briefly, could be the injury, but Russ does not look like Russ. He seems like a shell of his previous self. Seahawks are not an exciting team to watch. They lose constantly. Uh, They put up just 10 points tonight. Seahawks are a team really going in the wrong direction. Uh, I know we won't spend a ton of time on this, Pete, but is this the final season for Russ or Pete or both? Give me a quick take on that. Well, that's the question of the hour in Seattle right now, definitely. And, uh, you know, Pete Carroll's done a lot. Uh, One of my other co-hosts, Eric, who is a Seahawks fan, uh, figures that this is Russell Wilson's last season in Seattle. And I think it's actually more likely that it's Pete Carroll's last season. Uh, And if that's true, I think Russ will wait to see uh, what the organization is doing there, who they hire as a head coach. Does Russell Wilson have any say as to who they hire? And if so, who's it going to be before he makes his decision? But it is entirely possible that the Seattle Seahawks are without both Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson next year. And that would be a huge loss because they do have some good pieces there. You don't want to lose your franchise quarterback when he's still in his prime, really. I know Russ is struggling right now, but there isn't a team in the NFL that wouldn't love to have him. Pete Carroll, born uh, September 15th, 1951. Uh, 70. It could be time to uh, play some golf. You watched the football team and the Eagles a little more carefully than I did. What were your first impressions of that game? Yeah, it was a, it was a game played under uh, a steady mist coming down in Philly. Washington jumped out to a quick 10-0 lead, but uh, the Eagles slowly but surely turned the screws, turned it around, and I talked about the Eagles last week. If they could go on a run, they got Washington twice. Uh, Tonight they beat them. They'll get them again in a couple of weeks, and, uh, you know, the Eagles are starting to make that push. They've now jumped ahead of Washington in the standings, so this is a huge win for them and a big performance from Jalen Hurts, who played very well tonight. I was really concerned. You know, if he wasn't going to be able to run, if he was still hobbled from that high ankle sprain, you know how dangerous those can be. But he really played well. He was passing the ball well. He was running well. So all very good signs for Philly right now. 
Yeah, I'll give you the, the box score. Jalen Hurts, 20 of 26, 296, uh, a touchdown in the air and a pick, sacked three times, and then on the ground, two touchdowns on eight carries for 38. Uh, it's enough to win a ball game against a football team defense that is, is gamely at times, and uh, that would have been a nice fantasy start as well. Three tutties, as the kids say. Well, one in the air, two on the ground. <laughs> well, don't remind me because I know we both had a lot of fantasy implications going into tonight. Games were decided, playoff matchups were decided for us, and uh, I got to say that I I had Jalen Hurts on the bench because I was concerned with his injury, and let's be honest, the possibility of a COVID outbreak on the team. What if he didn't even play? And I I waited till Tuesday. Uh, it was a big risk. I had Mac Jones, so I put him in there, who who did well for me in the end. But uh, I had one pool that I won my matchup tonight and another that I lost because Terry McLaurin couldn't do anything. Mr. Gilbert, fill-in quarterback for the Washington football team, could not get him the ball very often. He had just two catches for, I think, 52 yards. So uh, my ship went down tonight in one league, but in another league I'm living to fight another day. How are you doing in your leagues? Uh, To uh, reference a popular breakfast item, toast. (laughs) (laughs) Needed uh, another Matt Gay field goal. That's something out of DK Metcalf. Uh, standard scoring came into tonight, needing 21 points from Van Jefferson, DK, Matt Gay. Any combination would have been enough. That's just Fell astonishing short. to me that you didn't get 21 points from those three. That's unbelievable. That's a bad beat right there. That is a bad beat. And in that particular league, which is my longest running league, top points in the regular season. But you get bounced and uh, – Really, all I can do now is just look at internet gifts and uh, summarize my emotions. So that's where I'm at tonight, Pete. Yeah. Thanks for asking. I, I hear you. I remember one year I had a, an incredible regular season. I was almost undefeated. I went 12-1. and one. I was about 250 points clear of the next best guy in the league. Just absolutely dominated. It was eight guys make the playoffs in that league friend of mine snuck in with a 5-8 and eight record and bounced me in the first round. To this day, it's the biggest injustice I've ever suffered in fantasy football. So it can be it can be a cruel one. <laughs> my voice is cracking. It can be a cruel one some days, my friend. Been there. Been there. Talk to me about some of these other games. I, I don't want to think about fantasy anymore. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, let's get to Urban Meyer because you and I uh, had – you were on the podcast in the preseason. I think we previewed the AFC South, if I'm not mistaken. Is that is that right? That's right. That's right. Yeah, because I remember talking about Urban Meyer then. And oddly enough, you know, we were going to do a little over-under on how long Urban Meyer would last in Jacksonville. And I was thinking you'd set the line at two and a half years, and I was going to take the under. But you set it at one and a half years, which threw me off. But after thinking about it, I said, you know what? I'm still taking the under on that. I don't think he's going to last one and a half years in Jacksonville. And wouldn't you know, he didn't even last one. He has been fired as head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Give it to me, man. What happened here? Well, if I'd uh, offered you another 1.5 line on total career wins in Jacksonville, (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if... uh... Anybody could have gone 2-12. and 12, Well, 2-11, and 11, I guess. He doesn't get credit, if you can say credit, for the loss at home versus the Texans this past Sunday. I mean, this was a debacle from start to finish. People have done a more uh, comprehensive job than you and I will do tonight on detailing the miscues, but 
some questionable hiring practices. He seemed out of touch in the locker room, famously not flying home with the team after a loss in week four. Uh, the Josh Lambeau kicking incident just sort of summarized the whole thing. But um, if you lose a ton of games, the boys aren't playing hard for you, and you have this uh, really, really high upside quarterback that you want to baby, you can understand why that trigger got pulled. Who knows? Maybe Jacksonville, along with Las Vegas, gets a head start on the next round of coaching hiring. But uh, I, I don't know what the highlight reel looks like, uh, the Urban Meyer tenure in Jacksonville. Even And just before I hear what you have to say, if I'm understanding the reports correctly, they're actually not going to pay him out the balance of the deal. That's right. They fired him with cause. And I can't tell you if I've ever seen with cause. Uh, so I thought that was stunning. I thought coach contracts, not player contracts, but coach contracts were guaranteed. But maybe you do this and... Uh, all of a sudden, four years' salary gets withheld. What a mess. What a mess. What are, what are you thinking? Yeah, well, you mentioned a lot of uh, his greatest hits, if you will. Even more so, even before the Josh Lambeau stuff came out about him kicking him. And I, you know, who does that? I don't, I don't understand. Even in a bygone era, that I don't know that that sort of thing was common. But even before that, you know, you had the, the James Robinson issue where he had been benched uh, for something like 25 plays in a row or something like that. And you even had Trevor Lawrence come out and say, look, this guy needs to be on the field. You know, Trevor Lawrence is showing the leadership that you expect out of the head coach. And, uh, you know, after Meyer left, you know, he didn't want to say anything, you know, disrespectful or whatever, but he did talk about the importance of clarity and having that now moving forward. Why wasn't there clarity? Because Urban Meyer was just such a huge distraction. And it still surprises me that everybody outside Jacksonville, or at least the, the brass of the Jacksonville Jaguars, knew that this hire was a terrible hire right from the start, but they didn't know it. I don't understand how that happens. You know, they're supposed to be ones on the inside. We're on the outside looking in. There's stuff we don't know, uh, we have no clue about. But everybody knew this was a terrible hire, except for them. And, you know, hey, they only have themselves to blame as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. I mean, there's been some controversy at his other programs. Uh, there was that really early retirement that seemed to have question marks. Uh, a little bit of success. Uh, I mean, well, a lot of success at the college level. But again, he wasn't a hot commodity. It's not that he had just led a team to a national title, particularly given some of the other names that, that seemed to understand the NFL uh, landscape a little better now. A name that always comes up is Eric Bieniemy. Uh, I wonder also if uh, there'll be a, a reunion of sorts in Jacksonville with Byron Leftwich, who seems to be an up-and-coming offensive coordinator. But some of the, the Urban Meyer tactics, you know, maybe he's a phenomenal recruiter, but he doesn't seem to be a good motivator of uh, mature adults. That team looks bad. Um, but as uh, if I remember that episode correctly, you and I were big on Trevor Lawrence. Nothing has changed on my end. Uh, they'll probably get a better guy in there and probably start over with a great guy. Uh, plus, I think they're going to have a very high draft pick, if not number one overall again. Uh, so there's reason to see maybe they can turn the corner a little quicker. Between my fantasy loss and talking about Urban Meyer, I'm ready to hang up. <laughs> just call it a night. <laughs> well, before we move on, just real quick, in 10 seconds or less, I think we we all probably agree that Urban Meyer's done in the NFL. In 10 seconds or less, is he done at the college level? I'll say no. And it reminds me of, uh, I think, was it Bobby Petrino who sort of reemerged in Arkansas? You think even about the weird Nick Saban uh, Oh, you said 10 seconds or less. <laughs> There's too many colleges. I got you. We got enough. We got it. That's enough. 
that's enough time about Urban Meyer. You're right. Let's move into some of the other action from Week 15. And uh, we'll start with the Thursday nighter. Kansas City Chiefs going into L.A. facing the Chargers. I keep one of, you know, I, I short form uh, the Chargers L.A.C., right? But whenever I see that, I think of the Clippers. I almost say Clippers every time. It's the Chargers. Uh, much anticipated game battle for the division lead. If the Chargers had won, they would be leading the AFC West. But, of course, they did not. The Chiefs pulled it out in overtime, retook control of that division, and are now actually find themselves back as the one seed in the AFC. What were some of your takeaways from this game? Well, it reminded me, too, of uh, the Baltimore game, which maybe we'll get to. Uh, nobody kicks the ball in this league anymore. So I, I wasn't a fan of uh, the fourth down gambles in this game uh, on the Chargers side of things. The coaching notwithstanding, which, which is a huge takeaway, uh, Herbert continues to look like a very, very solid pro quarterback. You got to give the credit, though, to Andy Reid. When you look at the winning streak this team has got on, uh, they were in real trouble. I believe at, uh, was it three and four? And then maybe four and four. And then uh, since they haven't lost seven in a row. And they've beaten some teams. They've beaten the Packers. They won at Las Vegas. Uh, they beat the Dallas Cowboys. And uh, this was a key win, too, on the road against the Chargers. So this is a playoff team, first in the AFC, as you said already. They're going to be a tough out in the postseason. They are battle-tested. And uh, to quote uh, a famous NFL coach, maybe the Chiefs are who they thought we are. <laughs> <laughs> they are who we thought they were. And uh, they didn't let them off the hook, but they're back on the hook. Where do you want, where do you want to go in this game? Are you, were you thinking about the fourth down gambles? Should, should well, the Chargers put this away much earlier? What do you think? Yeah, you, I mean, you're right. You you made a lot of good points there. The Chargers were one for five on fourth down. Uh, they got inside the five-yard line of the Chiefs uh, three times. Uh, at least the first three times they got inside the, the five. They came away with zero points. You just can't have that when you're facing the Chiefs. You know, I was also, and, and part of this was fantasy motivated, but I had Austin Eckler in my fantasy pool, and they were not giving him the ball, and they, they gave it to, I think, uh, Justin Jackson inside the five. He fumbled. Uh, Kansas City recovered. And it's honestly, it's just stupidity. Why Austin Eckler, who's not only one of the best running backs in the league, he's one of the best running backs inside the five in the league. He has a nose for the end zone that few running backs have from short yardage. I don't know why he was on the bench when they were getting inside the five-yard line, but he was. Finally, they let him have the ball inside the five. He converted it for a touchdown. You know, it it, it reminded me of the Seahawks passing for trying to pass for a touchdown in the Super Bowl against the Patriots instead of handing it off to Marshawn Lynch. Just doesn't make any sense at at all. I, it just, just no justification for that. So in a way, I think they had to lose. It was a tight game. But when they went to overtime and Kansas City won the toss, I kind of thought, you know what? This is it. That's the game. Kansas City's going to go down and score. And I got to say, Travis Kelsey, you know, he at times this year has shown his age. He's starting to get up there. But he can still dial it up, man. And there's sometimes when he catches the ball, I figure he should be tackled immediately. But he's always thinking one step ahead. He knows what he's going to do before he even gets the ball. And that touchdown catch. Uh, in overtime where he caught it, changed direction, and then went through. I mean, yeah, bad tackling, bad angles from the Charger defense. Yes, yes, yes. But Kelsey was very smart, crafty like a snake, and he slith slithered through that Charger defense all the way for the score. It was a great way to end the game for a neutral, that's for sure. Totally agree. Signature play. 
from Mr. Kelsey. That's it. 13 targets, 10 receptions, 191, two touchdowns, none bigger than that last one. Today shows up on the COVID list. NFL in the 2021 era. Tyreek, uh, too. Matt. So we'll have to monitor that because Tyreek Hill's on the list, too. Anyway, let's keep her moving. Uh, Colts, Patriots, your Saturday night game. And in a surprise result, I think, not just a, a surprise result, but the, the narrative of the, of the game was a surprise to me. The Colts win this one 27-17, but the Patriots, to me, were never really in this game. The Colts came out, scored 17 points. They led 17-0 at the half. The Patriots were completely out of it. They're not built to play from behind, I don't think. And yes, they scored 17 points in the fourth quarter, but it wasn't enough to really even give them a sniff. What a game this was. Big, big, big win for the Colts. Yeah, and not quite a walk-off touchdown from Jonathan Taylor, but he goes 67 yards to the house just to play inside the two-minute warning. And uh, that broke open a what was a three-point game at that point. Remember we were talking about the Patriots last week, and I said uh, I could see them losing on the road at Indy, and I could see them losing at Foxborough this week Uh-oh. to the Buffalo Bills. And uh, wouldn't you know what both of those teams then would be nine and six. Uh, so I thought the Patriots would regress a little bit. Nothing in this game changed my mind. Uh, I am not confident in the sort of combination of receiving weapons. I realize that uh, Hunter Henry got in the end zone in this game, but uh, between Jacoby Myers, Bourne, Nikhil Harry, I'm just not convinced that there's enough around Mac Jones, and I'm not convinced Mac Jones is enough. Uh, so I think I think this was a huge loss for the Patriots. Uh, I think they're up against a big test this week, home against Buffalo, and I think they might fall out of the division lead here and uh, maybe hang on to a wild card. But I am not bullish on the New England Patriots. Uh, not sure if that's a hot take, but that's where I'm at, Pete. Do you see it any differently? I do, actually, and I, I like this because I, I think we do see this differently. Hey, being a Dolphins fan, I've been around this division for a long time. I've learned never to doubt Bill Belichick, and uh, I, I disagree on Mac Jones. I think he's the real deal, and he's going to have a heck of a career. This definitely was a lost game for the Patriots right from the start, though, and it's it's very rare that any Bill Belichick coach team is not in the game in the second half, which was the case here. Very rare that that happens. So I'm going to take this as a one-off. Even though I knew the Colts would give them a game, I've said it many times, the Colts are well-balanced. They play in all phases, offense, defense, special teams. They blocked a punt for a touchdown early in this game, really set the tone for them. you got to give them all the credit in the world for this win, but I don't think the Patriots are going anywhere. Uh, that's going to be a juicy one, though, uh, at home to Buffalo this coming week. That's That's one of many great games coming up, and we'll talk about that later. Belichick, interestingly enough, going into this game was 18-2 and two career versus 1,000-yard rushers. Uh, so uh, it didn't get the job done. He's 18-3 and three now. But uh, it was a great game to watch. Give the Colts a lot of credit. All right, let's move on to another big result. We're going to head to the Motor City. Detroit picking up their second win. And it wasn't against your Jaguars, my friend. It was against... The NFC leading, for at least most of the year anyway, Arizona Cardinals. And they didn't just squeak it out either. They rounded on the cards, beat them 30-12. to That's the upset of the week, maybe the upset of the year. 
What did you think of that one? Like you, like anybody else with a pulse, uh, I didn't see this coming, not at all. Uh, checking the line was uh, basically cards by two touchdowns coming into this game. Man, they got hammered. Uh, wish that I would have had the guts to go ahead and start St. Brown on my fantasy team. Eight for 90 and a touchdown and 11 targets. A good day from him. Uh, I don't know. You see the high fa- fives between uh, Goff and Dan Campbell. I mean, this was a huge win, it seems like, for that franchise. But all that you could say about Detroit, I think this says a lot more about Kyler Murray and the Cardinals. Uh, just what kind of a team is this? Uh, if I'm not high on the Patriots, I am not high on the Cardinals. And uh, we mentioned that a little bit last week. But that was more about the Rams being good, not about the Lions uh, beating this team by 18 points. I don't know what to say. This was a strange stat line. And uh, you kept seeing it come in throughout the game. 3-0 after the first quarter, then 17-zip. And then uh, 24-3, the eight-minute mark of the third quarter. All over them, all game long. And uh, this was an ugly beat if you're a fan of the Arizona Cardinals. It was. But, you know, from the Detroit side, and I have to say, because they're, and I've said this before, but they're kind of my, my lovable loser team. You know, they always struggling, and I always want them to do well. You know what? For all the jokes about Dan Campbell and, and uh, biting off people's kneecaps and all that stuff, these players have not stopped playing for him. And that is so key. After all the losses that have piled up over the course of the season, you were starting to hear that talk about going winless uh, this year. And then they popped off two. They've won two out of three now. And uh, they just keep fighting. They don't care. They're going to keep going. They're, they keep fighting for Campbell and for each other. And ultimately, this is going to be big for them. I don't know what the future holds, but they've got some good young talent on this team. You could do worse than Jared Goff. I know a lot of people are down on Goff. And yeah, he's not a top 10 quarterback. He's probably not a top 15. Some might say he's not even a top 20 quarterback. But he's had enough experience in this league, and he's had experience in a good offense. Uh, He knows how to throw the football. He knows how to make the right decisions. And this team does have potential moving forward. It's obviously not going to help them much in terms of results this year, but they are building a good foundation moving forward. If they can continue to draft well and Campbell can continue to develop himself as a head coach tactically, I think he's got all the motivational skills that you need. I'm excited to see where this team is going. It's funny. They may have taken themselves out of the running for that number one overall draft pick, which would have been nice, uh, especially if they make that first pick in the state of Michigan. But I was talking to a friend uh, who's a Jets fan, one of the 19 or 20 Jets fans (laughs) in the entire world, (laughs) Uh, talking about the Robert Sala hire. And I guess we've talked a bit about the Urban Meyer hire. Uh, Of the openings that got filled this past offseason, I think getting Dan Campbell is a great hire. I think he fits with the the brand of uh, Detroit football, particularly in the uh, sort of smash nose uh, way they'd like to play. And uh, I think you got to like Dan Campbell going forward. I think under him and uh, when there is some success in the future, I'm not sure if Goff will be the guy under center, uh, but I agree with him. I agree with you. You could do a lot worse. Serviceable guy. And uh, again, going against the number one seed in the NFC conference last week, going 21 of 26 for a nice tidy 216, three touchdowns, no picks, uh, is a great performance from him and uh, probably the best game they'll play all year. Yep. All right. Now a game that I was really looking forward to uh, this week, maybe not the hottest ticket 
across the league, but a game that I really wanted to see something from, and I, I want to get your thoughts, was the Cincinnati Bengals going to Denver. They end up gritting out a 15-10 to 10 win over the Broncos and uh, now find themselves, thanks to a, a, a tiebreaker, owning the tiebreaker over the Ravens. They now sit atop the AFC North, the number four seed in the AFC, your Cincinnati Bengals. Who day? <laughs> nice job sneaking in the who day. Uh, <laughs> if there's a team that uh, epitomizes this football season, it might be the Denver Broncos. Uh, what an intriguing team at 7-7. Seven and seven. And they play a lot of teams tough. And uh, I'm intrigued. How good are the Denver Broncos? Uh, they look great when they win. They look poor when they lose. This was a fairly well-contested match. And uh, they recovered after a devastating injury to Bridgewater. Uh, what do you think of the Broncos before we get into the Bengals? Well, you know, the odd thing here is that I think I the, the reason I wanted to see something from the Bengals this game is because I think I know what we've got in the Broncos. The Broncos are a decent team. They play decent defense, but a very conservatively run offense. Vic Fangio is from the old school. He's a defensive coach. He doesn't like to take too many chances. That's part of the reason why he went with Teddy Bridgewater at the beginning of the year and not Drew Locke. So, I mean, you can't fault him for that. But when you think about the weapons that they have on this team, their offense should be a whole lot better than it is. Jerry Judy, Cortland Sutton, uh, KJ Hamler, who's out for the year, of course, Noah Font. They've got two running backs that are really good, Melvin Gordon III and Javante Williams. I mean, this team is set up to succeed. It's no surprise that this is one of the destinations that people are predicting Aaron Rodgers to end up at because it's got a lot going for him right now. However, they are really struggling to score points, and I think that reflects a lot on the head coach, Fangio, being a conservative coach in an aggressive league. You know, you mentioned a few minutes ago, nobody... Nobody uh, kicks on fourth down anymore. This is the league we're in now. Everyone's playing uh, the odds, the analytics. They say you should go for it. They go for it. But Vic Fangio is not that kind of coach. He's going to keep his cards close to his chest, play things super conservative. So, you know, the Broncos, I don't think they're a team that's going to go anywhere under Fangio, I have to say. But the, the Bengals, even though they struggled in this one, Jamar Chase was completely shut down this entire game. T. Higgins also, neither of them did anything in this game, and yet they were able to grit out a win on the road in a difficult place to play in Denver. So I give Cincinnati all the credit. They've got a tough end to their season. They finish uh, against Baltimore, another juicy matchup this coming week. Then they're home to the Chiefs, and then they finish at the Browns. Three huge games, but if these guys make the playoffs, it's going to be no fluke. They'll have earned it, you have to say. Totally agree. Uh, I mean, that is a murderer's row uh, to finish off the season. Uh, they needed this win coming off losses to the Chargers and the Niners. When we did preview this division, I remember saying and uh, shocking you at that point to say I had the Bengals finishing ahead of the Steelers, uh, but I was nowhere close to thinking they were going to be in the playoff discussion, much less division leaders at this point in the year. So you got to give them uh, a ton of credit. Uh, this is an exciting team to watch. If the Lions are a lovable loser for you, uh, the Bengals have got to be a lovable loser for a lot of other people. Uh, it seemed like under Marvin Lewis, they were in the playoffs all the time, but never really as a serious contender. I don't know anybody who hates the Bengals. Uh, maybe it's because I haven't spent a ton of time in Ohio, uh, in Brown's country. But beyond that, 
Uh, this is a team you got to be pulling for, don't you think? If somehow, some way, they can get in the postseason, uh, they'll be an exciting team this year and, and I think for years to come. Absolutely. I mean, hey, I'm a Dolphins fan through and through, but if uh, I don't anticipate them making the playoffs, and if uh, Cincinnati is in there, then they'll be one of the teams that I'll, I'll be hoping goes on a run this, this uh, postseason. All right, before we move into one of the bigger storylines in the NFL right now, I got a little trivia for you. Now, the Dallas Cowboys won their game this week. They were going up against the New York Giants. It wasn't really a close one. And they had their way with the Giants, beating them 21-6. to In this game, uh, a couple of guys that we mentioned last week, Micah Parsons and uh, Trevon Diggs. Diggs had an interception. That brings him up to 10 interceptions on the year. And now the Cowboys are the first team uh, in a number of years to have a player with 10 sacks, Micah Parsons, and 10 interceptions, Trevon Diggs. Can you tell me the last time a team had one player with 10 sacks and one player with 10 interceptions? I'm looking for year, team, and players. How much can you give me, Big Mac? Well, the the first thing to say is a lot of players go over 10 sacks every year. Very, very few get 10 picks. And the interesting thing with digs is sometimes the guys who rack up interception numbers are the guys that are targeted more often. So I'm not going to say Champ Bailey or Darrell Revis or Namdi Asamoah, any of these huge defensive years we've seen. Um, none of those guys are real ball hawks. They're just sort of shutdown guys. I'm going to go way off the board just for a second here. It's not the Chargers, is it? Like late 90s? I was wondering if the safety Kwame Lasseter ever had 10 on a year that Junior Seau got 10 sacks. You're not giving me a look like I'm correct. but uh, I got to tell you. You got the team right. You got the team right. You didn't get the year and you didn't get the players, but I am impressed that you even got the team because this is not an easy trivia question, okay? I'm going to help you out with the year because that's almost impossible. And then uh, let's see if you can get the players for me, okay? The year was 2007. The San Diego Chargers of 2007. I'm looking for a player with 10 sacks, and a player with 10 interceptions. I want to go with uh, Sean Merriman. Was it Mr. Lights Out? You got it. That's one half of this dynamic duo. Cromartie? I knew you had it in you. I knew you had it in you. I don't want to wake up the kids, man. But uh... Hey, Antonio Cromartie, let me do the yell in here. Uh, unless I'm coming through on uh, the big speakers. I hope not. <laughs> Talk to me about this you got it my friend well done that's impressive yeah uh sean merriman lights out and antonio cromartie 2007 the last time this happened so how about that for your dallas cowboys here not your dallas cowboys but you know america's dallas cowboys they got something going on again this year man they seem to but uh however good their season is won't be as good as my answer to that trivia feels great <laughs> <laughs> You own that. You you got to own that, man. You nailed it. Well done. I will say one thing before we move on is I just pull up some stats. Junior Seau, never with double-digit sack year. Can you believe that? That is a tad surprising, yeah. A few times he hit seven, uh, 1991, 96, 97. But I would have thought he was a double-digit guy. And uh, appreciate the late, great Junior Seau. Very good player for a lot of years. Oh, He was absolutely tremendous. He was just uh, an amazing player. 
All right, well, let's move on uh, to one of the bigger storylines of this week. And, you know, it's not a, it's not something you look forward to talking about, but a lot of scary injuries and, and big major injuries this week. Of course, uh, in that Thursday night game, Donald Parham Jr., tight end of the, I was going to say San Diego, the L.A. Chargers, uh, unfortunately, uh, had a scary moment there where he banged his head on the back back of his head on the ground and uh, was knocked down immediately he went to the hospital he's recovering now which is great but we also had a major injury to teddy bridgewater uh, who also got carted off uh, and tack mckinley defensive end of the cleveland browns looks like he has a, suffered a, a torn achilles then chris godwin wide receiver for your bucks uh, a very scary hit that he took over the middle, tore his ACL, and he is now out for the year. A lot of big, heavy stuff this week. And uh, you add to that all these guys getting COVID and people sitting. It's just a crazy time. But what what are your some of the thoughts as you, you think about some of these big injuries when you see them happening on the field? What, what goes through your mind? Well, sadly, it's the sport we love. But uh, every year there's going to be devastating injuries that just sort of comes with the territory. Bridgewater's play, I mean, seemed fairly innocent initially. And then it seemed to be the most serious of the three injuries you mentioned. And uh, But yet he seems to be the guy with the shortest road to recovery. So that's great news. In terms of Godwin, I mean, uh, playing under the franchise tag, I know there's been a little bit of chatter the last uh, 24 hours or so. Uh, some of the talking heads on the TV about this is why the players hate to play under the tag. And from a salary cap management standpoint, it could have been a, probably a smaller hit if he had signed a multi-year deal in the offseason. Uh, so that's really too bad for him and his family. Uh, was poised uh, to set a very high bar uh, total reception record for the franchise this, this year. Uh, it's got to be right there in the hunt of Pro Bowl receivers. Uh, so that's that's terrible for him, terrible for his team. As far as the, the hit that took him out, I've mostly heard people, including Bruce Arians, say, uh, according to the rules, a clean hit, a clean tackle. A few other people are saying, you know, that – Hit to the knee has got to be eliminated. The counterpoint being there's been so much taken away from defensive backs hitting high. On that play, I don't know if you saw it two or three times, Pete. Did you think that was a dirty hit? No, I did not. But I have some very strong opinions on this on this play and some of the fallout since because I agree. Uh, and and I like the rule that you can't hit high because we got to protect these guys. We, we've seen enough in terms of CTE Later on in these guys' lives, of course, we, we just talked about Junior Seau, uh, who suffered under that and died under that, ultimately. It's a terrible thing. And we this stuff has to be addressed, and it has to be uncompromised. So I am all for these rules of staying away from those helmet-to-helmet hits, those blows that are blindside type of things, helmet-to-helmet, all that stuff. I want all of that stuff out of the game. Now, I know that that, in one sense at least, presents a problem to... Uh, defenders trying to tackle their opponents. However, I've got I've got two kind of beefs here on on each side. One is that gone the way of the Buffalo in the NFL is form tackling. Just don't see it anymore. Wrapping up, bringing a guy down. You know, when I played football as a high school student, I was taught you wrap your arms around the guy's waist and you drop him down to his shoestrings, and that's how you bring a guy down. That's a form tackle. That's how you get a guy in the ground. You never see that in the NFL. These guys only launch themselves like missiles these days. That's all they ever do. So they're either launching at the head or they're launching down low. It's hard to get a guy in the abdomen 
because you know the guy's dropping his shoulder he's trying to stay square and take a hit properly and you're just trying to get him to the ground i get that but i don't like when guys dive at people's legs and i don't like when they dive uh, at people's heads both of them are bad but i do wish that they would keep form tackling in the game and even almost i don't know if you can make a rule about this sort of thing but if you could i'd be all for it because i really think that's missing in today's game but I have to say I have another issue here, and that's I've taken issue with Tom Brady. And I, these are your bucks, so I, I want to get your feedback on this. After the game, he said, oh, we've got to get these low hits out of the game. He even went so far as to say, I would a million times out of a million rather take a hit to the head than a hit to the my knee or whatever. And I just think that that is absolutely ludicrous, given what we know today. I think that's a terrible take, and he's setting a very poor example for his fellow players and for anybody really who's wanting to play football. I get it. Uh, A serious knee injury could potentially end your career, but let's be honest, an injury to your head can end your life or at least end your life as you know it. It's it's absolutely insane to me that a a guy of, of Tom Brady's stature can say something like this. It's absolutely ridiculous. You think about, you have a future after football, you know, if you're if you're a vegetable, you know, you have no future. Like it's you can't live like that. And with all these with all these reports of the CTE and everything that people have done because they've suffered uh from CTE, I just think it's it's very uh I don't know what the word is. You know, help me out, man. I just think it's absolutely terrible. Yeah, I, I think it's an absurd comment. That might be one word. Yeah. He didn't conduct himself very professionally uh, towards the uh, final few minutes in that fourth quarter. If there's a silver lining for the guy, I mean, obviously at age 44, competitive juices, man, are just off the charts, bordering on immaturity, and uh, particularly when he loses. And uh, yeah, and like I, I'm sorry, kind of- I, I'm sorry, but I, you know what? I'm I'm going to tell you something else, man. Go ahead. What nobody's talking about is the fact that Brady threw that ball and led Godwin right into that hit. And you talk about quarterbacks not laying out their receivers like that. I'm sorry, but Brady did that on that play. He led Godwin. You watch that replay. He led Godwin right into that. And uh, he's been leading uh, number 87 into all kinds of contact for a bunch of years, and he did it to uh, was Edelman number 11 and uh, did that to Wes Welker, 89, a guy who took a ton of contact. Not so much to Randy Moss because he was way down the field most of the time when he caught the ball. I, I mean, it, it, these are apples and oranges in terms of uh, – some of the roughing the passer calls, I mean, that affects Brady a lot more. Some of the other games, some very, very soft roughing the passer calls. Uh, Aaron Rodgers seems to pick up a couple of cheap ones like that. Uh, and I also saw a defenseless flag, I think, in the Bears game, which was a terrible call on the uh, replay. So I do feel for the defensive backs because that's been taken away. Um, you know, the defensive holding, all these sorts of things as a pass first game. Uh, easy for a quarterback to say because those guys – are being handled with kids' gloves. They still wear the different colored jersey at practice, if I'm not mistaken. So Brady's been wearing a non-contact jersey for 30 years. That's like me telling somebody who fights for a living MMA tips on what sorts of submissions to put on somebody. If you're not in the octagon, probably shouldn't say that. And if you're not making tackles, I don't think that's helpful for number 12. So that leaves question marks on the offensive side for the, the Buccaneers. I know we didn't really want to showcase this game because it was a tough watch, even as a fan. <laughs> But the Evans injury is there. It looks like Leonard Fournette is going to be gone at least for a couple of weeks. Looks like uh, Levante David, who arguably is their best player and the best player they've had in the last decade, he's out. 
Perriman, who had the touchdown in overtime, he's making his way back from the COVID list and a lot of attention this week uh, as A.B., Antonio Brown, comes back into the fold after his three-game suspension. So a lot of question marks in uh, Tampa, uh, particularly the weapons uh, that surround Brady. And uh, a week ago, this looked like a layup between, I think it's two games with the Panther, Panthers, home against the Saints, and a game against the Jets. And now this is a team that's going to be scrambling to get healthy, uh, hopefully for wild card weekend. So uh, not a great not a great game for the good guys in Pewter and Red. Yeah, well, as a neutral, it's a great rivalry, the Saints and Bucks, And, uh, you know, who knows, maybe we'll see them going at it again before the season's over. All right, I want to end on a positive note here. Let's look ahead to Week 16. The games just keep getting bigger and bigger. There are so many big games with big playoff implications in Week 16. What are a couple that you've got your eye on here before we finish up this week? Yeah, huge games across the board. I mean, I did have uh, Saturday night, Christmas Day circled. Green Bay hosting the Browns. Obviously, it looks like the Packers' position is pretty well secured. Interesting to see what Cleveland can do. You'd imagine uh, Baker Mayfield is back for that game that they just got to have. Hopefully, all the kids and everybody else has gone to bed by Christmas, uh, 4.30 p.m. That's one to watch. And uh, this week, I feel like I've heard a lot about the Niners being a team that people think is somewhat under the radar has been hot lately and is going to turn some heads. Uh, so that Thursday night game with Tennessee, uh, very, very significant. And uh, both of those are even played before Sunday. Obviously, the Titans made news this week for dancing on the logo and dropping a game to the Steelers. Those are some big ones. Uh, I think the Rams-Minnesota is fairly significant. Uh, as of the, the recording of this podcast, the Rams are, are a three-point pick on the road. And uh, anything in the AFC North is going to be just blood and guts. Uh, Ravens at Bengals. I think you mentioned that already. That's going to be uh, that, a beauty. That's a must-watch game. Uh, it's a 1 o'clock game, which means it's going to be competing for some other stuff. Uh, I should have just read the whole schedule. What am I doing here? I know, people? right? That's what I mean. There's so many great games here. We got Buffalo going into New England for that rematch. That's going to be a great game. Man, we've got uh, Pittsburgh at Kansas City. That's got big playoff implications. Washington-Dallas, another one. And uh, even my Dolphins at the New Orleans Saints on Monday Night Football. Hey, my Dolphins get a spot on Monday Night Football. I'll have to tune in for that one. So many big games going on this week. Colts, Cardinals, huge game. Massive, massive. I think that uh, Dolphins-Saints game, pretty much losing your out, right? I mean, that's like the uh, start of March Madness. You know, the Tuesday night game, two people playing for the 11 seed to see who can play a six. Uh, your season ends if you don't beat the Saints. and. Uh, Especially after last week, I hope the Saints lose 50 nothing. Hope Tua goes for six touchdowns <laughs> and the Dolphins stay healthy. Huge week. Uh, yeah, coming back to it, that Bills-Patriots game is just huge. And uh, both of those teams with uh, not just playoff aspirations, but title contention aspirations. I think we're going to be working the dial pretty, pretty heavy at 1 o'clock between Bills-Pats and um, Ravens-Bengals. Just, just enormous, just enormous. Yeah, it's true. Such great matchups. And I still don't think my Dolphins are going to get in. There's just too many teams to jump, and we don't own enough tiebreakers. But you never know if somehow we can win out. We'll see. Okay, Ryan, man, this has been so much fun, man. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to be able to get you on again before the season's over, but if I can, I definitely will because this is just great stuff. Uh, I want to thank you so much for coming back on the pod. This has been great. Great for me, man. Love it. Uh, Tie Cats lose last week. This week, Bucks 9 0. 
every week I come on here, I have a bad week fantasy wise, but I listen when I'm not on and uh, yeah, best of luck rest of the way. This has been an exciting year and uh, this has been an exciting week. It felt like, what was this week 15 lasted a month and a half, but uh, on to bigger and better. We'll look forward to next week's pod. Absolutely. And I uh, appreciate that. And uh, yeah, if I can, we'll get you back on, but Everyone else, thank you for listening. This has been great. Enjoy the Week 16 action coming up. This has been Episode 24 of the Purely Pigskin Podcast. Take it easy. Take it easy.